Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. It's good to be with you this morning. Church, uh, when, you, when you think of the word church, what do you think about? What images conjure up in your mind? Uh, I, I, unfortunately, for, for many, uh, church is really not a good word uh, as they think through it, as they process it. Uh, when I think of church, I think of so many different uh, groups that I've been part of uh, over my lifetime, uh, some very positive, uh, some negative. Uh, but for the most part, I think about family. I think about, uh, you know, that, that God has, has brought me into a, a sweet fellowship where uh, I am <clears throat> I'm loved and uh, I'm not regarded or looked at based on what I've done, but based on what, is God, has, what God has done in my life. Uh, I'm lifted up instead of put down, and that's what church is for me. You know, it's interesting, uh, God's Word has so many different descriptions and pictures of what church is, and I think there is a PowerPoint that's ready and rearing to go. Uh, some of those metaphors, let me give you what, uh, just go through quickly some metaphors here. Uh, one metaphor for the church is the bride. Uh, so when Paul talks about the church, uh, this is one of the illustrations or metaphors he uses to describe the church. So in this scenario, we, the church, the, the body of Christ, the people, uh, we are the bride. And in this case, Jesus is the groom. Uh, we, are, we are married to him in, in this scenario. So we're, the church is compared to the bride. Another metaphor um, that's uh, in First Timothy 3, is this idea of the church being the pillar and ground of truth. If you can imagine this for just a second, uh, if you look around outside even, you can see pillars that support big structures. Imagine that the church is that pillar, uh, and not supporting a massive structure, but a very heavy burden of truth. It supports truth, and it's this, it lifts up and props up truth. That's another picture. Uh, Paul loved this picture uh, of the church as the body, the body of Christ, where in this scenario, uh, Jesus is the head of the body. And uh, imagine to me not a disproportionate or uh, disfigured body, but one of perfect proportions. Uh, this is the picture of the church where every part of the body is, is functioning properly and every part of the body is actually working together as one unit. Uh, maybe if you could imagine Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime, all right, perfectly proportioned. Uh, but do not imagine a church that would say, hasta la vista, baby, please, don't, don't. <laughs> but imagine this perfectly proportioned body. Jesus is the head, everything working perfectly as it should. Another illustration is, a metaphor is a lampstand. This die uh, is still like a, a pillar, but something that supports light. Uh, high enough so it lights up an entire room or an entire place. So uh, this is the, what, what uh, John writes in the book of Revelation as the church as a lampstand. Uh, uh, John, when he wrote the book of Revelation, he described uh, seven churches as lampstands. And he described this idea of Jesus in this scenario walks between the lampstands. He walks between these churches. That's where we get the idea of, of local churches, where uh, there is one church... Uh, big C, uh, but, but in this case, in Revelation, it's the idea of local churches, of multiple churches, and Jesus walking through. Letters in the book of Revelation are written to specific locations, specific churches, and uh, Jesus walking through them and cherishing them. Those local churches are meant to be lampstands, beacons of light 
this picture. Uh, the, the different writers of the New Testament uh, describe the church in metaphors, uh, in, in ways of pictures, trying to understand what this would look like. Obviously, the church is not a building. It's not in the sense that it's not just a structure that's made by man, but actually uh, is a household of, of living stones, is what Peter actually describes us as uh, a spiritual house. That is his picture. So let, let's, let's review here uh, these metaphors. A, a bride, the church as a bride. And let me just say here, in contrast to a one-night stand, you with me? The church is the bride of Christ, spotless, pure, not a prostitute or not a one-night stand. The church is the prop of truth. It's, what, it's the pillar of truth, what supports truth. It doesn't support lies. It's not a place to broadcast lies. For, for many of us, uh, our frustration with the church is we feel like that the church was a place of lies in a place where we just could not trust anything about what they were saying. It's that perfectly formed body, not a deformed, sick, or dying organism. It's a place of light and clarity, not a place of darkness, oppression, and hidden mysteries. It's a spiritual house, not a place of stale doctrine or demonic activity. But it is a place where God's Spirit rules and reigns. It's a place of comfort. It's a place of welcoming all those who have been hurt. Jesus forgives them, changes their lives. That is the church. Peter wrote it this way. 1 Peter 1, uh, chapter 2, verse 4. I love, how he, I love how he writes this. This is what he says in verse 4. As you come to him, Peter's writing, says, As you come to him, Jesus, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him and pause as I read this, if you would just ponder this. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. For those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In this, in this picture, a spiritual house, the church of Jesus is a spiritual house. Jesus being a living stone. And in this scenario, is called the cornerstone, the, the main stone. What, what was a cornerstone? A cornerstone was that first stone that was chosen to build this building. Uh, any masons looking to build a house in those days would look for a specific, a primary stone, the leading stone. The stone that would actually be uh, in, in, in a corner or, or form the foundation. Uh, this stone was the key to everything else in that building. It had, to be, it had to be 
perfectly formed. It had to be very strong. And it was the, the guide of everything else in that building. Every other stone was laid in proportion to that stone. Jesus being the cornerstone. So this, this idea of living stones, Jesus being a living cornerstone, and we as living stones that are placed in proportion to that around Jesus as the corner, the surrounding corner part of everything. The guide, the foundation, the strength, Jesus being the cornerstone. I have, a, I have an enormous stone in my yard uh, at the house. It's, it's huge. It's, it, it probably weighs about five men, five heavy men is how much this stone weighs. I'm not kidding. Um, the reason why I know this is because uh, I found this stone across the street before the house was built in an empty lot. And um, uh, years ago, I spotted this stone. It had actually been taken out of my lot before my house was built uh, by a bulldozer and dropped on the other side of the road. And we were trying to get our garden together, and so I decided, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for some stones across the street and see uh, ones that I like. And I found this massive one. It's kind of in the shape of Africa uh, is what this looks like. It's kind of like the map of Africa is kind of shaped. Uh, I don't know why we're so consumed with shapes of Africa on t-shirts and jewelry, and, but anyway, um, it, it just looked like the rock I had to have. And uh, so I went down and looked at it and tried to budget just my move it. I couldn't, I couldn't even phase it. And so uh, solution, uh, I backed up my then uh, Baki uh, to the other side of the road, roped it, and I literally uh, drove it across, you know, pulled it across, put a streak in the road, don't tell the city, but put a streak in the road pulled it up my driveway, and this was years and years ago. So Dana, myself, and uh, my, my two youngest children at the time, uh, they were teenagers, not very big at the time, and we, the four of us, wrestled that rock with uh, pulleys, with high lift jacks, with uh, gum poles, and eventually we got it from my driveway uh, down to the other side of the wall. It took us an entire Saturday, and uh, we almost died in the process. I had to have this stone. It was the perfect stone. And so I put it, we, we uh, set it in a place. And once it got in its place, it did not move again. And it became the foundation for a water feature. We, we built this water feature with a fountain and water and everything on it. And so uh, before we went to the States a couple of years ago, we decided, you know what, uh, we want to move this rock now to another place in the yard because we like to see... I don't know why we made that decision, but we decided we were going to move it again. I said, you know, this time I'm going to use my car and a winch. And so I drove my car into my yard, hooked the rock, and winched it over uh, only about five meters. That's as far as I can get it. And then I went to the States. And this rock sat in the middle of my yard for over a year, tripping everyone uh, that walked through this. It was a beautiful rock, but a stumbling block. About three weeks ago, uh, Rico and uh, JP and I decided that we could handle this rock. And uh, so uh, they were willing and ready, and so we pulled the, the vehicle one more time into the yard and hooked the winch onto this rock and lifted it up with cable, barely lifted it up. The, the whole front end of the car just went down. The thing is heavy. And uh, we, we, we very carefully inched it over and... Uh, and with Rico's guidance and JP's guidance, they shifted this thing around. I said, you ready? Can I drop it? We, I dropped it, pushed the button, and, and covered Rico in muddy water. 
but that rock is now where it's supposed to be. And our hope is someday that we're going to, it's going to be the cornerstone of putting other rocks on top of it. It's going to be a beautiful fountain. It's going to be the centerpiece for uh, flowing water, birds coming. I, just, I can see it. It, uh, it's not happened in reality yet, but I can, I can see it. This wonderful, beautiful place centered around this stone. A place of refreshing for all the birds that we like to see. A stone. Jesus here is compared to a stone, a living stone, a cornerstone, a significant stone, where every other stone that's laid on it is in proportion to that one, in direction to that one. It's a significant thing. In this particular case, the stone is compared to as something uh, special, chosen, precious. Uh, the word of God here says that uh, this stone was rejected by men, but chosen by God. So God has chosen Jesus to be the corner, to be the key part of the church, critical. Uh, Jesus is tone setting. He's directional. Uh, he receives other stones perfectly. Other stones are cut to fit exactly to match the Jesus stone. It's a place to restore respect. Can you imagine this building being built to this beautiful, attractive structure that's seen well by other masons, architects, and others who walk by, this beautiful building, a spiritual house. So in this case, Jesus, the cornerstone, uh, if you are one who, if you're ones who believe, if you've come to this stone and you're part of this church, then it's, it's a beautiful place. It's a precious thing, and you become this living uh, stone that, that creates this spiritual house. However, if, if you reject Christ, then Jesus becomes a stumbling block. It becomes a place that trips you up. Now, notice in Scripture here, there's not this in-between place in reference to Jesus as the cornerstone. He is either something wonderful or he is something horrible. He's not like another stone that I have in my yard that sits on the edge of my driveway and does nothing. It's just a pretty rock. I, can, I walk by it all the time and I see it, admire it, but it really doesn't do much for me. It doesn't trip me up because it's out of my way. No, no. In this case, Jesus is either the place of welcoming, the place of, of the, the critical place in your life, the, the, the most important aspect of your life, or he becomes the stone that trips you up. There's no in-between. He is either really amazing or he's terrifying. And this is how he is described as the cornerstone of the church. Either he is critical, foundational, he's your strength, he's your everything, or he is tripping you up. He's in your way. He's the case against you. Wonderful or terrifying. Jesus is never represented as just something that's set aside that you can look at or ignore. He's either wonderful or terrifying. We are living stones in this process of building up this building uh, centered around Christ. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The church really is a place built upon people who have had their shame removed. They've been, their respect has been restored. 
I love this picture. And you can just imagine Peter who's writing this. This is the same Peter who stood before Jesus when Jesus walked on the earth. Who, when Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? The disciples answered, well, some people say that you're Elijah. Other people say that you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And Jesus asked Peter and the other disciples, who do you say that I am? And Jesus stood up boldly in front of Jesus and said, Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded him, answered to him, blessed are you, Simon, for this has not been revealed. You didn't reveal this to yourself. This has been revealed to you by, the, by my father who is in heaven. In this famous verse, Matthew 16, verse 18, he says, I tell you, you are Peter. He changed his name right then and there. He says, you are Peter. And the Greek there is this idea of you are this large piece of rock. Uh, Peter, your new name. You're not Simon anymore. You are Peter. And then Jesus says, and on this rock, a different word, he says, on this much bigger rock, meaning himself, I will build my church and the gates of Hades. The gates of hell will not overpower it. Just picture this moment, this moment. Jesus is with his disciples. Peter's running after Jesus. Peter's doing Jesus' bidding. And uh, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Simon, boldly, you are the son of God. Oh, this, this is great, Peter. You are a rock. Jesus says, and on this rock, his pointing to himself, this rock, I'll build my church. But Peter, shortly after that beautiful moment, this incredible encounter with Jesus, being named by Jesus, all of a sudden, the one who declared, you are the son of God, sits in a courtyard and denies him three times. Jesus looks at him in that moment, and Peter runs away. And with deep, bitter tears, shame, and runs away. Peter, who writes this, says that whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This is the restored Peter who's writing this letter. On this rock, people who believe in him will not be put to shame. This is the the Peter who's been restored. This is the Peter who's not ashamed anymore. This is the Peter who actually has respect. This is the Peter who stood in front of thousands and confidently claimed that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus had restored him, his self-respect, no longer ashamed. Peter knows exactly what he's talking about. He says, the church is full of people who, although were guilty of sin, have come, but because of Jesus Christ, they've been transformed. I love how Paul writes about this. He talks about what the church is made of. 1 Corinthians 6, it's not on a PowerPoint. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, he says this. Those who indulge in sexual sin, or who worship idols, or who commit adultery, or who are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. But Paul says, some of you were once like that. Verse 11, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, and you were made right with God by calling on the name of Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The church is full of people who were ashamed, who were involved in all kinds of crazy stuff. Those who believe in Him are not put to shame. The church is full of misfits, former misfits, 
the church is really to be built on people who had lives that ran away from God, who had lives that were, were horrible, uh, embarrassing lives with, with, with addiction and sin and all kinds of embarrassing stories and hidden uh, secrets. But in Christ, we are restored. We are restored to a place of respect. We're, we've been designed as people to be respected. God wanted us to be people of respect. And God restores us. The church is built with people that not a single one of us sitting in this room today uh, have, are, not, are, 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 are not guilty. We, every one of us have done something that we're embarrassed of. Uh, and I'm sure you may think you're the only one who can tell a story of an embarrassing sin in your life. But just for a moment, look to your left and to your right and understand that the person sitting to your left and to your right is just as guilty as you are. You think you're embarrassed? They're also embarrassed. But because of Jesus Christ, like Peter, they can stand confident clean, pure, chosen. Uh, he's, he goes on to say in verse 9 of, of 1 Peter 2, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The picture of the church is people who are no longer sitting in the funk of their past, who aren't sitting in the shame of their guilt but people who've been restored, uh, maybe, you know, to, here it's, we're, we're called royal. Maybe you were a pauper, now you're royalty. You're significant. You're insignificant, now you're, he says you were, once you were not a nation, but now you are a nation. You are God's people, chosen, royal, holy, belonging to God. That's what the church is full of. Former misfits who've been transformed. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. No more shame. No more shame. He goes on to say that we are living, living stones, as opposed to dead things. We are living. I want to show you here a picture of what a, of what a church could be. Um, this is very often we consider church. This is uh, the church background that we come from. Look at the one on uh, I think it would be your left over here, uh, where you have a structure, a long rectangular structure. It looks a bit like this. Uh, but where you, have, where you have a few people, maybe 5% of the church that's actively involved in ministry. And then the rest of the church, maybe 95% of the church is actually passive, uh, content to sit and do nothing. Uh, this is why a lot of people feel like churches are dead, because the church is full of people who do nothing. And I'm not criticizing you today, this morning, or anyone here. Uh, I know many here who are very, very active. But this is, this is the kind of church I came from when, when I was a kid. This is sort of my background. Uh, where about, you know, two or three significant people, maybe who were paid, were the ones who did everything. And then the rest of the church was passive. This is another church uh, trying to encourage more people to come. They kind of shifted the auditorium, made it more like a square shaped. I was just at a church last week that's, that's shaped very much like this where the stage is much bigger, trying to encourage more people to be on stage and to lead worship and to, you know, 
more people active as, as part of that service. Go to the next slide. Uh, this is even more so. This is uh, where, where, it's, where the rectangle has been actually totally reversed. And uh, there is this, you know, a greater participation of 20 or more uh, percent of the church is actually involved in ministry. And the rest of the church is still sitting and enjoying uh, the preaching, the worship, of course. But this is typically how we understand church to be. Most of our experience is this. But th this is not the picture that, that Peter writes about here in any way. Now, don't, don't be uh, uh, distracted by the shape of the building. There are churches that maybe are shaped like this, buildings that are shaped like this, where the entire church uh, body actually is active. But this, this will help you get some picture. The idea of the church, the picture should be like this next slide, where every member is active, where we have equal sway. Everyone is part of this body that functions. A spiritual house where, where every stone that builds a house is alive and functioning. Priest. We're called priest. The church is built living stones priest. A priest is really another word for bridge builder. That's really what the word means. This is bridge builder. Uh, the, the Latin word for priest, pontifex, is the actual word for building bridges. Or, or as Paul would call it, we, the priests are people who actually become ambassadors. They become the ones who carry the, the good news of Christ to, to a lost world. And they minister to each other in God's grace to each other. So that the church becomes a place of ministry to each other and ministry to an to a outside world. Where every single person in the body, in the house, actually is, is doing ministry. That we are priests. Each and every one of us active. This is what it says here. Verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a royal priest that you might proclaim. So there's a purpose in you being a priest. Is that we would actually proclaim the praises, the excellencies of the one who called us. We're to be, we are to be these, these beacons of truth, beacons of light, beacons of, of, of bringing respect to people who are shamed. We're to be this good news to say, once you are this, but you can actually be lifted out of your misery. We're to be the message of good news. Priest, a royal priesthood. How do you see yourself? How do you see yourself as part of your church? Maybe, maybe your perspective needs to change. Do you see yourself as a living stone as part of a spiritual house? If I think about this, I have to ask myself the question, how would my life change if I had a correct view of the church? How would my life change? How would my behavior change if I had an appropriate view of of, of who I'm supposed to be in the context of this church. If Jesus is the cornerstone, a living stone, not a dead stone, but a living stone who invites me to be part of his spiritual house, what part am I supposed to play? And I really have to ask myself the question, am I still this living stone, but I'm, but I'm still living in the guilt of my sin? A am I so ashamed of who I am 
that I'm actually useless to the body? Have I experienced the forgiveness that can come only by the cornerstone? To truly become alive, to truly actually be able to say, God has forgiven me. I am completely forgiven. All of my sin, everything has been wiped away. I can stand with confidence, truly as part of a spiritual house. What insecurity rules my life? What am I still ashamed of? Why am I still living like a pauper, not a prince? I'm royalty. I'm, I'm a child of God. Why am I acting like I'm just, you know, a side thing to be ignored? How, how holy am I living? Or am I just in, indulging in every kind of sin just because I, I just can't think of anything better? What needs to change so that I can truly be part of this church? I don't know where you are. I don't know what your picture is of the church. But I do know that the Cornerstone invites you to come, to come with all your shame, all of your guilt, all of your inadequacies and lay them at the feet of Christ and allow him to fit you into his house. From shame to respect, that's the invitation. Jesus, the cornerstone. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We thank you that, Lord, you are the chief cornerstone Lord, hopefully of our lives, Lord, we ask for forgiveness this morning where we have actually set you aside. Lord Jesus, where we've only, uh, uh, we've only walked with you in terms of tripping over you, being offended by you. Lord Jesus, make us chip away those pieces of our lives, Father, so that we can be living stones. Lord, today we just say again, Father, there's not a person in this place who is not guilty in some way. There's not a person here who's not ashamed of something. Lord, you invite us to, to, to restore our respect, to help us to stand again. Lord, thank you for the witness and testimony of Peter who denied you three times, Father, but then stood as one of your loudest voices. Lord, we pray for New Song Family Church, Father, that it would be a light. It would be a pillar of truth. It would be the, the bride, Lord, that is spotless and pure. Lord, that we would be a spiritual house. Lord, we, we give you praise today. Lord, we can do nothing without you, Father. Amen. This is Rico Vecca, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.